0: You're listening to Privacy Files, the podcast that makes privacy approachable for businesses and consumers alike. This episode is brought to you by Anonymous Labs, makers of MySudo, the world's only all-in-one privacy app, and Sudo Platform, the cloud-based platform companies turn to for seamlessly integrating privacy solutions into their software. Welcome to episode number 32 of Privacy Files. I'm Rich.
1: And I'm Michelle.
0: Oh, we've got a new guest co-host here. In our last episode, Sarah and I examined the process of wedding planning and how you can minimize your digital exhaust, meaning keeping spammers and scammers at bay by using a privacy app like MySudo. Today, we are pulling back the curtains and peering into the life of a content creator. With more than 50 million people worldwide creating original content for social media, this is most definitely a big industry. But being an influencer comes at a cost, and that cost is personal privacy. To help us better understand this world, Michelle is joining me as co-host for this episode. Michelle posts content on a variety of platforms, including TikTok, Instagram, and Pinterest, and has a combined following of around 200,000 people. Michelle, thanks for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having me, Rich.
0: This is going to be fun. Before we get into all the stuff that you do, uh, I wanted to cover this article. I thought it was kind of interesting because it's in this whole space of content creation, this term called sharenting.
1: I read the article. It's really interesting. So we'll get into it. Yeah,
0: that's the first time I've heard of this. And so I know there's, I guess, kind of during the whole COVID lockdown uh, period where everybody's home and trying to find things to do to fill up some of that free time, you had this explosion of lifestyle vloggers. So everybody's at home showing how their lives are.
1: Yeah, everyone's showing their houses, their kids, every aspect of their life.
0: So I found this article from CBC Radio. It's March 15th of 2023. And, and it talks about this, this growing concern of how parents are sharing more of their kids' personal lives, right? Photos, video, even, even health, like yeah. medical problems and stuff. And so they're, they're defining this term is essentially parents who overshare pictures, videos, other intimate details of their kids' lives online. And what concerns the researchers and some vocal parents also in this article uh, the most is really the type of content that's being shared. Some of this is related to embarrassing moments and all these traumatic pranks, right? You think about over time, as you grow into adulthood, those things never go away.
1: Yeah. You'd look back and see a video of, you know, maybe your mom or dad posted of you as an eight-year-old or 13-year-old, and you don't have any consent to that. You know, you don't really get a say of what they post or not until you are able to voice that. And so I think a lot of kids are just being overexposed and then maybe have embarrassing things that pop up down the road. I think the Good part of it is some parents set their kids up for success who also want to follow in their footsteps. But the downfall of that is they just have no say in that. And what if they don't want anything to do with social media when they grow up?
0: Yeah, I can't. It, this is a totally foreign concept to me because I'm, I'm a kid of the 80s. And so we didn't even have the internet back then. Even to think of seeing what my parents were doing on social media. It's just, it's a really weird concept, but today everything is all documented and it's there for eternity.
1: Yeah. I know some uh, vloggers on YouTube will post videos that they claim like, oh, I'm just posting this for my family home video. So us as a family can go back and watch it and see what fun memories we had. But then again, you're posting your kids and intimate moments and personal memories from your life for the whole world to see.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, and maybe if something wasn't uh, the term I think is sometimes called presentism, which is you look at the past through the lens of today. And so maybe something that was politically correct or kind of socially okay 20 years ago might not be today. And then someone finds that 20 years later and then you get canceled.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> what happens on The Bachelor a lot. I know you don't watch that show, but yeah. they the fans dive into their past, like deep dive and they find old stuff that comes up and it ends up, you know, hurting the person and they get canceled and they have to apologize to everyone. So
0: it that happened to a host, yeah. didn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Yeah. It just it never, it never goes away. And especially when you're a child and you really don't have you don't have full awareness of everything and you're not really, I guess, giving your consent. So in this article, there is uh, this person, Sarah Adams, she started a TikTok account called mom dot uncharted. And that was back in 2021. And she says her goal really wasn't to share countless photos and videos of her newborn child. Rather, it was to confront this practice. And she's quoted here as saying, a lot of what I talk about is in relation to the influencers and the family vloggers who have turned their children into content. And I made a note here, like a lot of times people do this with dogs, right? You got mm-hmm. a cute little puppy. and All you got to do is put a puppy in a, in a video and it goes viral. Yeah. It seems like.
1: Like you could have your dog set up with their own email and hey, send me dog products and I'll post videos of this and they're making money off their animals too. So it's not just children. Now, have
0: you ever tried that? I haven't. I don't have yeah.
1: a dog, but ah. I, I don't think I would if I did. Yeah. I Seems mean, like a lot of extra work too.
0: Probably. But yeah, it, it's it's definitely something that's uh, it's overused.
1: Yeah, I think a common one is um, mommy bloggers. I know a lot of mommy bloggers that put their kids in clothing brands, you know, like a company will send them a clothing item or, you know, a few. And then it's kind of like their child is this fashionista, you know, even babies. Like some people have a new baby and it's like, oh, check out my, you know, my new stroller or my new car seat, this clothing item. And it's, it's like their child is a child model.
0: Yeah. They're, they're exploiting them, I guess, for, Mm -hmm. for the, for the likes and the views. That's crazy. So, uh, Adams, she also says that she's seen the growth in sharenting content since the start of COVID-19. And this is also backed by research published in the journal of consumer affairs, which found that the pandemic accelerated sharenting by forcing interactions to move online. So yeah, like Sarah and I have talked about this a lot. It's like, a lot of these trends seem to all point back to that March 2020 timeframe.
1: Yeah. And I hate to say it, but that's when TikTok became a thing. That's when TikTok popped up. And I mean, a ton of content has been shared over TikTok.
0: That's right. It, d- it did explode in 2020.
1: Yeah. That's how I got started.
0: Yeah. And so you, for you, in your case, you're probably just sitting around going, gosh, I, I need to do something at the time here. Yeah. And then related to this, so there was a CNET article entitled, The U.S. is Finally Dealing with the Exploitation of Child Influencers. It's, cra- it's crazy that this is a thing. So this was dated February 17th of 2023. Washington State is taking steps to be the first in the United States to regulate the child influencer industry. Their state legislature has created House Bill 1627, which aims to ensure that children who are heavily featured or star in online content have a right to financial compensation for their work, the proposed bill also empowers children to maintain their privacy by requesting the deletion of videos and other content they're featured in once they reach the age of, of majority. So that I guess that's a that's a good thing, especially when you just you don't have the awareness or the mindset yet to even consent to this. You, you don't know mm-hmm. what that's gonna turn into down the road. Who knows?
1: Yeah, that's a big step. I didn't know that was a law.
0: You've never known anything other than the internet, right? I mean, growing up that was
1: Well, I didn't have the internet when I was really little. I think Instagram became popular when I was in high school. And I had an account. A lot of my friends created accounts. But it wasn't as big as it was as it is today.
0: Because Instagram was right right around 2011. Is that kind of somewhere in that range? Yeah. Yeah. So this this effort in the state of Washington, it marks the first attempt to introduce legislation in the United States that puts guardrails on this whole trend of child influencers. And this um, this rise in YouTube family vlogs and TikTok accounts featuring children ranging in the ages from newborns to teens has been going on, especially again, like I said, since the, the pandemic started. And the content which allows the public to see, share, and comment on intimate aspects of their lives has become an increasingly lucrative slice of the social media pie. And I, I think for me, what a lot of what I've seen in relation to this is these lifestyle vloggers i guess they i I don't understand the lifestyle vlogging thing to be honest with you but i you know there's there's an audience for it so good food for the people that are making money off of it but it's um i don't know why would you would just want to open up your whole world
1: yeah it it also just takes a lot of time out of your day and i heard one influencer was talking about how one day she was sitting there focusing on capturing the sunset. And she had her phone to take a picture of it, and then she had her camera out to take a video of it. And then she was like, oh, and then I want to, you know, maybe do another video of me and my boyfriend next to the sunset. And it's just all about this capturing content to post online when she stepped back and just thought, oh, I can sit here and enjoy the sunset.
0: It's gotta be mentally exhausting after a while.
1: Yeah. I, I used to kind of post a lot of lifestyle content. Um it never picked up or went anywhere really, but it was kind of, you know, just a like aha moment of oh, I should just be enjoying this moment instead of trying to capture the pictures.
0: I think it, it reminds me, I think I started noticing this when I was a kid. Like when you go to places like Disney World, Disneyland or theme parks or special like national parks or big monuments where everybody's vacationing in the summer and the cameras, like everybody's taking pictures of it. This is well before smartphones came along. And even then I thought to myself, can't you just enjoy, I mean, get a few pictures. That's fine. I understand document the moment so you can look back and remember a part of your life. But just to, I mean, everywhere you, you're walking, you're thinking about the next picture.
1: Yeah. I mean it, some people really, it's called curated content where they plan out matching outfits and even get props and then go to that location. And I mean, it can get extreme if you're really passionate about it and have creative image in your mind that you want to duplicate or recreate.
0: Yeah. The, the curated content thing is a big one. I, in the summer, now that the weather's warming up here in Utah, um, I'll start doing some, some more mountain biking. And I, there's a Canyon here that that I cycle uh, for several miles and I, I was last year during the summer, I was doing this and I got up to a part, it's pretty remote. And, uh, you know, you're closing in on the crest of this road and I don't know what it gets up to, eight, 9,000 feet. I can't remember. But all of a sudden I turn this hair, this hairpin turn, I'm turning the corner and just in this remote area deep in the mountains, there's this meadow and there's, there's this group of people who are at a dining room table in the meadow <laughs> with a tablecloth and they're dressed up in dresses and yeah. like formal wear eating... And it never crossed my mind that this was a stage shoot for like Instagram. I just thought, oh, maybe they were having some kind of a special occasion. And then somebody mentioned the whole curated content thing It's like, oh, they probably did this for their social media.
1: Yeah, that's actually common. I I know personally a lot of people who've done picnics in the mountains or and and some of it's just like, oh, let's have a fun, you know, a girl's lunch or picnic and then we might as well get photos out of it. Other things, I know people plan content in weird locations just to get a rise on social media.
0: Because they're, they're looking, I guess, for this, like a contrast. Yeah. Top of a mountain and you're having dinner. Yep. It's just, that's crazy. So to kind of close out this article, um, one of the witnesses who testified at the Washington State Legislative Hearing, who goes by the name Cam Barrett, detailed how having their image and details of their life shared on the internet as a child has affected them by creating a digital footprint, which we talk about all the time on the podcast, that they have no control over. So Barrett said, if if you Google their first name, photos of them as a child in a bikini are still the first results that pops up and something they're terrified of will be weaponized against them in the future, which is, you know.
1: Wow. Yeah. yeah.
0: And they also described how the intimate details of their first period were shared online by their parents without their consent. No. That's yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah. That's, I just wonder, what, what are the parents thinking?
1: Like, I don't know. Some moments should just be left not shared on the internet.
0: I don't even understand it. And also they, they uh, had shared some private medical information about a car accident and a virus that resulted in hospitalization, which led to her being ostracized and bullied at school. Just sad.
1: That is sad.
0: Okay, Michelle, let's go ahead and open up a case file on the world of social media influencers. So I want to read you this quote, and then I'll just get your initial reaction. So there's this individual named Paul Bischoff, He's a privacy advocate from a company called Comparatech, which they test and review privacy and security products like VPNs. And he said, quote, influencers and content creators are small scale celebrities and celebrities often attract unwanted attention. What's your reaction to that?
1: I mean, it's definitely true on some level. Um, I don't really have personal experience with attracting you know the type of scares that bigger influencers have Um, you know I've gotten negative comments here and there but I think this type of quote is more referring to like stalking and harassing people in person and just fans getting out of control don't you think
0: I think so and there's a there's a graph that I have here in my notes that it's related to this and maybe this will help you kind of digest that quote a little bit more so it says that because creators foster strong ties with fans, they actually have a more engaged audience uh, compared to videos owned by traditional celebrities. Videos created by the top 25 YouTube stars earned in this particular case three times as many views, twice as many actions, which, you know, clicks or shares or whatever, and then 12 times as many comments. And so they they're just saying even though you think maybe you're not Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie or whoever, right? But Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie are not actually engaging with people on any of their platforms or outlets that they reach out to audiences with. And so I think what they're trying to say is, yeah, you might not be at that level in terms of celebrity status, but there's this constant need to just engage, to keep things going and keep that ball rolling. So, I mean, do you ever feel kind of that pressure
1: I do feel that way with uh, my Pinterest TV episodes. So I have a few people that I recognize that consistently comment on my videos and they will ask me questions like, hey, when's your next live video? When are you doing this? And so, I mean, you could say that's creepy if you're you know, not wanting that. I have a pretty consistent schedule, so I think it's pretty normal for someone to ask me when my next live video is. But it's fun and it's exciting. But if I had, you know, triple, quadruple times the amount of fans asking me all of that and being very involved in my personal life, it might get a little scary.
0: Well, why don't don't you tell us a little bit about kind of what you do on social media and maybe the story, how you got started and um, the platforms that you're on, just the nature of your content.
1: Yep. Let's dive into it. So I will just start from the beginning. I got started on TikTok like a lot of bigger influencers have now. It seems like TikTok has kind of been a gateway to influencing. And what happened is I was actually working at a marketing agency and my manager had asked us to research TikTok. Some of their clients had brought it up and he was like, let's see if it's worth getting into and or if it's just an app that's gonna flop. So I was the only person that was kind of interested in it. And I just started scrolling just every day just to kind of see like what it's about. And then I started posting content. Originally, I was one of those Utah girls that started a blog years ago, right out of high school. I started a blog, it's called Sunkissed in Blue. And um, I wanted to be a fashion blogger and that obviously flopped. It didn't go anywhere, but, (laughs) but so I got on TikTok and I just started posting random content. They do trends, challenges. I was doing dances with my best friend every once in a while during COVID you have nothing to do. So we're like, let's learn a dance. That'd be fun. So we posted dances. I did a few challenges with my boyfriend. They had some partner dances or partner challenges where it's like, I don't know, like you do these cool flips or like, um, seeing like if your boyfriend can do something that you can do, like the standing on your hands and elbows ones. Have you heard that one? Yes. So we just kind of play around with the app and I posted a bun tutorial one time and that got a lot of traction. And so then I posted another one, maybe mixed it up a little bit threw a braid in there and it kept getting more traction and, you know, as someone who doesn't have hardly any comments or followers, once you start getting traction and comments, you want to engage with people and respond to them. And then they're asking me questions about my hair, like, how'd you get your hair so healthy? What products do you use? So it was really fun in the beginning, starting out everything. And then I did a rice water challenge. I don't know if you've heard of that. No, never. (laughs) So the rice water challenge became a big thing on TikTok, and I think a culture started it. Um, there's a specific culture who they dunk their hair in a bath of rice water, and this is probably rice water that's been sitting for months. I don't, I don't know how long it's been sitting for, but it's like a cultural ritual, and they're known for having this long, beautiful black hair, and Everyone strives to have longer hair, I guess. So rice water became popular and I was making it in a jar or like a little spray bottle <laughs> and testing it out. And then I would measure my hair and I'd do like, oh, yep, yeah, it grew this much. And so it's just kind of something funny. And it was really controversial because, you know, people were saying, oh, that's terrible for your hair. And I don't know, it was, it was fun, but that's that's how I guess I grew on TikTok
0: can you remember a like a point in time, some kind of a watershed moment where you said, wow, th- this is actually kind of going somewhere?
1: Yeah, I do remember. Um, so I started posting content, hair content in October 2020. And then the next year, April 2021, I just decided, hey, this is, you know, continuously growing every day. I'm going to post every single day for a year and just see how it goes, see what I can do. I wasn't ever really someone who did fancy hairstyles back then. It kind of just was something uh, like a hobby of mine. Like, hey, let's try this fun hairstyle today. Let's see if I can do this. And I'm naturally just good at arts and crafts, creative things like that. I grew up crocheting and I was always making little, you know, projects, arts and crafts. So braiding and doing hairstyles came natural to me. And it was really fun trying out different hairstyles. So it really picked up. Um, I started getting paid for it by TikTok. And then I started getting emails from brands. So I'd have to check my email every single day and keep up on that. And during COVID, it was like, well, let's just let's see if this can be my career and go all in.
0: <laughs> and how do, how does the revenue model work on TikTok?
1: So when it first started, I guess they never really disclose how it works. But basically TikTok pays you based off of engagement or views. And if I post a video and I'm in their creator program, then money just shows up in the Creator fund. and I don't know which video it came from. I don't know if it was because I got a ton of comments on that fo- on that video or if I had, you know, this many likes, it's definitely gotten more stricter over time as more creators have been added to that. But when it first started, I was getting paid a lot by TikTok.
0: Wow. And so there's no rhyme or reason. You're not sure what the formula is. It's just, they won't
1: discuss the formula. It's just engagement and views is basically all they say.
0: And you're just like, wow, I'm getting paid for this. This is awesome. Let's keep doing more.
1: (laughs) Yep. It was an incentive to keep posting more videos every time you got paid.
0: And in that one year, then when you really were going all in and you were posting every day, did you see a measured increase in engagement and followers?
1: Yeah. So mine was almost, mine was very consistent. I think I grew at least 10,000 followers every month. It was pretty spot on. Some Some months I would double that and other months were a little slower but that's kind of how my growth worked. And then it, it kind of stalled out after I stopped posting every day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's always about engagement. I did a little experiment with myself during the same period of time that you were doing this on uh, LinkedIn. And I, and again, I mean, who's going to spend two hours on LinkedIn, but, <laughs> but I did because there was nothing else to do. Yeah, And I found that after only about two weeks of spending a couple hours a day on LinkedIn doing original posts myself, I was getting on average 500,000 views per organic post. There's no money going into this. Just Mm -hmm. me posting and I was shocked.
1: Yeah, I think there's some hidden rule that these social media apps have that they say, hey, let's push out their content because they're using our app more often and let's keep encouraging them to use it. I really believe that's part of their algorithm.
0: It's an ingenious model when you think about it because You're doing all the work and they're just sitting back and it's just a platform. They're divvying up the money, oh hey, okay Michelle, here's a little bit of money for your effort and then we get the advertiser money and they're not really doing most of the work. It's the content creators, it's crazy. What an ingenious model. Let's take a quick break for this message from our sponsor.
1: Are you tired of big tech spying on you? MySudo is the world's only all-in-one app that gives you back control of your privacy. By creating digital profiles or pseudos, you can compartmentalize your online activities by setting up a unique phone number, email address, and handle for things like shopping, accessing free content, and using dating apps. This breaks the data trail linking back to your personal info, thus reducing your digital exhaust. Each pseudo also includes a private web browser with add and tracker blocker. Want to stop companies from sharing data related to your transactions and spending habits? Set up a MySudo virtual card and bring peace of mind that your transactions are secure and private. To learn more, visit MySudo.com. That's MySudo.com. Stay private.
0: So I want to cover this little story here and feel free to interrupt if you want and break this up a little bit. But I think this is going to set the stage for this discussion about privacy and content creators. So there's this article from College of Influence from July 21st of 2021, and they talk about how is privacy really just a luxury for influencers today and how how do you navigate this? So it says that throughout history, the controversy of how much a public person shows their audience has created a dispute from those who think if you are a celebrity or a person of public interest, you owe the people, fans, followers, whatever you would like to call them, the right to know about your entire life. That was the price you paid for fame, even if the price is high enough to potentially put your security at risk, like what has happened to celebrities, high profile celebrities, really, such as Kim Kardashian, John Lennon, Princess Di, and many others. And I forgot uh, the the story about Kim Kardashian. It's kind of vague, but I think she was in London or something and somebody broke into her hotel because she was posting her location on Instagram. Oh,
1: wow. Yeah. Something
0: related to that. But somebody literally broke in. I think she was in the bathroom or something. It's, um, I think that was the first time at like at a high profile level that people started really thinking about maybe I'm sharing too much.
1: Didn't she have her ring stolen? I swear. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Was that the story? Yeah. I think she had an engagement ring or wedding ring. I'm not sure. I, I wasn't really a huge Kardashian fan back then, (laughs) but I think she got her ring stolen.
0: So it it also, it continues on and it says many influencers who earn a living off social media are being demanded much more reality from their lives because people can relate more to someone who is like a version of me who gets the chance to do everything I wish I could do. This has created extra pressure to let go of what little privacy people seem to have and it has taken its toll on many of them by affecting their mental health and even jeopardizing their family's well-being. And we're going to talk a little bit more about mental health here in just a bit now millennials have made social media more than just a network and turned it into a lifestyle. So maybe you can comment on that. How do you feel? I mean, has social media become a lifestyle for you?
1: For me, it's more business, but I'm very niche specific. So it's kind of like I have to get in that zone of, okay, let's create more content of this specific content. But I think it also kind of is a lifestyle because it's part of your day just scrolling and you want to keep up with people's lives who maybe you're not involved in. For me, I follow a lot of the people who've been on the bachelor uh, just <laughs> to see like, are, are they still together? What are they doing with their lives? Where are they vacationing at? So it's really exciting seeing people that you wouldn't know in real life posting on there. I think also just your friends and family. Sometimes my family brings up things like, Oh, I saw you went here. Like maybe if I posted something and they'll bring it up. And so it's, it's kind of important to follow people on social media.
0: Has has turning it into a business for you taken some of the fun out? You you know, the, the classic dilemma where somebody has a hobby and they really enjoy it. And then somebody comes along and says, Hey, why don't you turn that into a little side job? And then the fun's gone.
1: Yeah, there's definitely burnout. Um so I was doing a hairstyle per day that year that I was posting every single day. Sometimes I would batch content on the weekends and do four or five hairstyles if I curled my hair or did it a certain way. And then I kind of got burnout where I was like I just don't want to do my hair at all anymore. And it sometimes it's not fun. Sometimes you have to push yourself to do it and I think if you're really consistent on social media, you do have to tell yourself, I have to create something today. And once you get in that zone, once you start creating it, that thrill comes back, but it's getting there in the first place of pushing yourself to create something that's just like, I don't know, it it plays a toll on your mental health. And for me, it's kind of burnout. Luckily, there's a million hairstyles I can try out, but it's just, the point of, I don't want to do my hair today.
0: (laughs) It's kind of like working out. You you feel great after the workout, but then the next day comes around you're like, Oh, I don't want to do this again. Exactly. So similar now they talk also about Gen Z and how they differ. So they say the Gen Z, uh, they view social apps as online tools rather than as a means to stay connected to others. So I find that fascinating. Now, Maybe it all comes down to how we portray ourselves and how much we are willing to show an audience as well as how much to keep for ourselves. It's a personal decision to show our audience the curated version of who we are. But don't we do that every time and everywhere we go? Don't we go advertising to the world how much money we make or how our life is crumbling because our spouse cheated on us? So why do we have to do it through social media? So these are interesting questions. Now they say that the answer is simple. Just being real and vulnerable (laughs) um, is now a trend too. And I don't, I mean, you've talked a little bit about this before we started recording that, I mean, sometimes you got to do some crazy stuff just to keep it going. You have to outdo yourself.
1: Yeah. I think also being more vulnerable um, includes mental health issues that people are speaking out about now. That's kind of why mental health has become a big trend because people are expressing their mental health and maybe telling their storyline about it. Also acne. A lot of influencers are sharing their acne problems and how they fixed it or just showing videos of them without filters. So I think more vulnerable stuff like that has become trendy.
0: Yeah. And they use this term, everybody loves to create their own terms. They, they call it vulnerability porn. Uh, Something some audiences demand, says lifestyle influencer Brianna Madia. Uh, She's quoted saying, how vulnerable can you be? What piece of information can I expose about myself? How wide can I rip my chest open for all these people? It is a good point. But yeah, you feel compelled to do it. But of course, then again, the, the cost is privacy. So Jessica Zolman can relate to this idea of performative vulnerability, as she calls it. She says that fans crave relationships with influencers and celebrities who display candidates online. But she says there's a fine line between relatable truthfulness and trading vulnerability for likes and engagement. Fans, on the other hand, can be quick to level criticism when a post doesn't meet expectations quote, it can sometimes feel like fans are waiting for people they admire or look up to to publicly fail for entertainment. But um, there's something really kind of screwed up about that being normal and acceptable, she adds.
1: I think fans can be invasive nowadays, where you're sharing so much of your life, they're going to expect more and more and you're going to keep giving more of your life. At what point is it? A breach of privacy.
0: Do you think people, I guess, even stage some vulnerability just to get the Probably. engagement?
1: Yeah. I could imagine that's a thing.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Even to the point where you make up, uh, I don't know, maybe some kind of a sad story or something. Yeah. It's just, gosh.
1: Yeah. I There's actually some people who post fake stories on TikTok or they'll stage something. There's a video of this guy who goes around and pretends that his dog won't get up and his dog's just laying there And I looked in the comments and it's like, this guy does this for a living. He does this every single day at this exact spot. So I think a lot of it is staged.
0: I think the GoFundMe world too is interesting because there's, I know there's some people who have created some scams about medical problems or. Yeah. There was one story several years ago about somebody who claimed that they were helping a homeless person. So they, I think, I think that's what it was. They created a GoFundMe page and then as it turned out, they just kept most of the money or if they were just working in partnership with the homeless person, it's like hard to know who to trust. Anymore.
1: Yeah. You need a, I don't know. It needs to have proof of where you're sending it to.
0: Yeah. So it, it continues on. It says in the end it comes down to taking control of what you want to share and make that a part of your whole aesthetic and brand image. Influencer Neely Mold- Moldovan, uh, AKA at Neely Kins And her husband have decided that her blog and social media would not portray their young boy Liam in photos where his face can be seen. You might think of this as a challenge, but it's something the brands had agreed to work with her and she does things in such a creative way that she would never notice it unless we mentioned it. This proves that you can't have your own rules and not engage in doing what everyone else is doing, along with protecting your close and beloved ones from unwanted exposure.
1: That's really smart.
0: The hard part, it says, of sharing our personal lives through social media is that as influencers, we've become so familiar with having a phone and our faces 24-7 that the line between private and public has become not only blurred, but almost non-existent. I mean, Do you ever feel at certain times that the the internet or the content creation world and the real world just kind of merge and just become some big blob?
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely at uh, events and parties when people are just filming for fun. You don't know what you're doing, if they're filming you, if they're filming their friend. And I mean, you even mentioned Disneyland. That's something that someone could be filming you and you have no idea and it's just a blurred line between lifestyle, walking around, trying to live your life and other people walking around vlogging.
0: I've always, I've wondered how many videos and pictures have I photobombed unknowingly over the years. Yeah, I'm sitting in someone's photo album somewhere and I have no idea.
1: That would be so cool to find out, like, you're in the background of this photo in this video. Maybe someday there will be a face identifier where it can just show you all of the videos and photos. It'd be searchable. Yeah. In. Yeah,
0: yeah. that would that would be kind of, I actually would be kind of interested in that, especially if you go back a long period of time. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's so many pictures that I'm in. It would be cool to see. It says that sharing on social media can feel like second nature. However, a commitment to personal privacy means pausing before posting and reviewing content for unwanted exposure. For instance, does a photo reveal your location? Does a comment reveal your contacts? Or a like indicate your associations? That's one I never thought about is every time you like something, that's building an association model on you.
1: Definitely. I notice a lot of the people that I see on my Instagram Explorer page are close to my state location or states near me. I rarely, rarely see people from the East Coast. And I think that's just because they know my search history and my likes. I don't really get content from East Coast.
0: Hmm. So in closing out here, it says, Oversharing is more than a social media faux pas. It's a simple way that many influencers hinder their privacy efforts often without even noticing. A privacy-first mindset gives precedence to caution and intentionality over careless carelessness and immediacy. In the end, it is up to you and your audience how things develop. As it is a relationship, it goes both ways, so it's a relationship between you and your community. Respect and admiration will take you far, but it can take a toll if it's exploited in the wrong way. Next time you feel like you owe your audience every single detail in your life to prove that you're authentic, and that you have earned their trust, think again and remember that we all have the right to privacy. You don't share your life with a stranger at a bus stop, for example, we don't own influencers, so they owe us nothing. Yeah, I think those are some words to live by, And I, but I know it's so difficult because the, the model doesn't reward that necessarily. You've gotta be out there in the public eye. So Michelle, in our last episode, we looked at wedding planning and that was our first episode where we actually proactively tried to create some content for more of a female audience. Now, I was curious to kind of hear your input on what privacy means to you since there's such a wide range of definitions and it's up to the person, obviously. Some people are more comfortable sharing additional information. Other people, they really want to live a completely private life. How do you view privacy? What what are what are your thoughts on it?
1: So my thoughts on privacy, first thing that comes to my mind is location. Location privacy is really important to me. Posting if I'm gone on vacation or tagging locations of where I'm at at that present moment. Um, Stuff like that's scary as an influencer. Knowing even just one person is watching or interested in your whereabouts. But also now I'm learning a lot more about your digital footprint and online privacy, Um, you know, getting emails that could be scammers or also just giving your email away to all of these clothing brands that I sign up for newsletters, everything. My information is definitely just out there for anyone. If this brand were to sell my information especially brands that I work with, they could sell my location, my email, anything they wanted to. I mean, it would be illegal, but that's always a scare is thinking that someone could share that.
0: And maybe I missed it, but when did you start posting actual content before you even did the, the hair the hair genre when, when did you just start posting was it three years ago four or no, was it all the way back to it high would school go all the
1: way back to high school when Instagram became a thing I would post stuff not in a business mindset I would just post stuff pictures of my friends or you know I was on the dance team so uh, you know pictures of me and my dance costume or something whatever performance we just completed
0: so then I guess how has your privacy or your view of privacy changed over time especially with ramping up content creation now like you do really as a business. I mean, has that impacted how you view privacy? Do you think about it more?
1: I definitely think about it more. I, that's kind of one reason I don't post lifestyle content. I think that's something that's more intimate for me. That's something that people don't need to know what I'm doing every single day that I'm, you know, sitting here reading a book (laughs) At a restaurant (laughs) or going to a restaurant or I don't know, doing anything with my life. That's just I, I used to post that kind of stuff just for fun or, you know, hoping your friend would see it or maybe a crush back in high school. Maybe they'd see that you went to this cool place, but showing off. Yeah, but now I definitely I'm becoming more aware of what privacy means in the digital world and being more cautious of that
0: i'm eating an acai bowl and drinking a green (laughs) smoothie right now at x place yeah (laughs) what about so i'm interested in i'm always interested in the female perspective of this intersection between privacy and safety a lot of times i hear that the safety message you know resonates more with a female audience is there i mean what are your thoughts on that and do you think that there is like this tangible intersection between privacy and safety
1: well, I think there's two aspects to that. One is video content. You're always worried about, you know, your webcam being hacked into, or maybe someone spying on you just the same as you would in real life. Um, you know, worry about someone spying through your blinds. You worry about someone spying through your computer or your phone. And that's just, I think, one thing that you think will never happen to you, but it could. And then on the other hand, you have true true crime scenarios, such as people stopping you at your car, um, you know, kidnapping you or just trying to steal your purse, your wedding ring. It can be scary as a woman trying to defend yourself when you're not a strong, you know, bigger built woman. Maybe if, if you look at your opponent. And you're like, yeah, they're no match for me. (laughs) or I'm no match for them, I guess. (laughs) And it's
0: crazy. Like the, the little bit of information, like just a little bit leaked out and maybe in conjunction with some other information or whatever, that's all it takes. If somebody's putting in that kind of effort, what they can come up with or find about you, there was a case, I don't remember all the details, but I think it was in Japan and somebody had posted a picture and I think based on how they did it, there was a reflection in their retina, like in their eye, where they could see they could see where they were. I can't remember all the details, but it was so detail-oriented, that. but that was the only information that was needed to find this person or hunt them down.
1: That's scary. That's like Be Real. Have you heard of Be Real? No. So Be Real was really trendy. I don't know if it really went anywhere, but basically the concept is... It would pop up a notification on your phone and tell you when to post. So it's supposed to promote organic content. So then once you hit that time, you get the notification, say I'm at work, the notification pops up. I take a picture of myself working and then it takes a picture of your back camera as well. So you're not only posting a picture of the front camera, but you're posting where you work as well. So that was a scary concept to me that I never participated in because, you know, you could be at a gas station and the notification pops up, you're filling up your tank of gas and then you, your back camera takes a picture of what gas station you're at. And if people know what city you're in, that's your location is just out there. And it's especially knowing that it tells you they posted this on time or posted two hours later that's the scary thing to me too is you could post it in the real moment and show people exactly where you're at
0: That's nuts yeah it's gotten you out of hand
1: that's scary
0: there was there a kind of a similar to this there was a um, a person I follow watch some of his YouTube content and he does a lot of cycling videos he likes to do bike tours he'll be gone for a week at a time or something and he'll do what they call bike packing so it's kind of a more minimalistic version of bike touring and they try to bring everything with them and they pack it all on the bike. And then they, most of the time they camp, sometimes they stay in little hotels, but if, throughout all of his videos, he makes it pretty clear that he lives in, I won't even say the place, but he, he lives in a particular city and that it's not large. It's, it's small enough where if you know a few things you'd probably figure it out. And I saw one of his videos one time where he actually showed him picking up his, his bike, and taking it out of um, a storage area. And it was pretty clear he lived in an apartment complex. And I saw enough in the video. It's just, again, I'm not gonna do anything to this guy, but I just, I was curious if I could get on Google Maps and look at Street View in this particular town to find where his apartment complex was. And I found it.
1: I did that once too.
0: And I'm like, this guy, I wanna tell him you're nuts. Stop doing this.
1: Yeah, there's a mommy blogger in Utah that I follow. I've been following for years and she posts home tours. She posted her alarm system one time and it clearly it was an ad. Like she got paid by this alarm system company to show everyone how the alarm system works. But then she showed, and here's my screen with all the cameras and you could tell every location the camera was set up in that I was going, please, please switch your cameras around after you post this because now everyone not only knows Where you live, because she shows her front door often too. Um, One thing she posted was she had a balloon arch for her kid that she set up in the front of her house. And she posted that with the front of her house. And I think her house number was on it as well. And she's like, if anyone lives in the area, come buy this from me. And I'm going, so now everyone knows the inside of your house, where your security cameras are at. They could just go take down your security cameras and break into your house. Not only that, but imagine when they're on vacations. Everyone knows when you're on a vacation. I hope she's not posting in real time. But now everyone knows where you live, and they know when you're gone because you're posting all of your vacations in real time.
0: I think a lot of people would say, "Well, you know, why does it matter? I mean, who really cares where so and so lives? Because I know where, I know where this person lives, and I know where this person lives, but." I remember back in in grad school when we were studying in psychology, there's this concept called parasocial relationships. And I think that's what breeds the stalking and that it's this concept where psychologically you follow somebody so much that you start to feel like you're friends with them and you start obsessing with it. And you, you cannot separate the fantasy from reality. And that's kind of where the stalker behavior comes in. Like, the person who's being stalked has obviously no relationship with this person, Mm -hmm. but they just can't separate the reality from the fiction. And that's what leads to these problems. So especially I would imagine the lifestyle vloggers where they're sharing every intimate detail with, with their, uh, with their audience about their lives. And then there's just some one person who's just a little off out there in the audience and just starts getting crazy about it. Just obsessing over this person. And that's all you need.
1: That would be terrifying. I, I can only imagine some influencers do events where they're in person. For example, they'll, you know, be like, I'm hosting this party here, limited tickets, buy a ticket, and then you go to that event. Or there's also influencers who have a favorite local coffee shop or local smoothie shop. And they're like, hey, if you're ever in the area, I'm always at this coffee shop. And some people promote it and they want to greet their fans. They want people to come to them. But for me, that sounds scary because you never know who's going to show up that day.
0: Well, don't some content creators do just meetups? I mean, they literally just go, hey, I'm going to be here and come Mm -hmm. see me. Yeah. No, thanks. (laughs) Again, I'm sure most people are good, but it only takes one. Yeah. It just takes it takes one individual. So related to that, have you had any scary moments? Anything just kind of a little bit spooky, creepy?
1: No scary moments for me. I've only gotten recognized a few times and it was a lot of the times for my old job. Coworkers would come up and be like, hey, like my wife saw your hair videos on her TikTok and I told her I work with that girl. Or some people come up to me and say that they've seen my videos on Pinterest. That's a big one. My videos get reshared a lot on other accounts. And I don't know, people have recognized me through that, but it's it's never strangers that come up. It's always kind of Someone who knows me and then they tell me that they saw me on social media later. It just organically popped up. But I I don't if someone knows me that's a stranger and hasn't come up and told me, I have no knowledge of that.
0: And I just learned today looking at uh, your Pinterest account. So what is Pinterest TV? That's completely foreign to me.
1: I know. Pinterest TV is a new concept. I think they started last year. That's when I got involved in the program. So I had worked with Pinterest beforehand on a new feature that was released called takes and it didn't really go anywhere. I, my version of that is you have to go into your profile settings and turn takes on for it to work. So that's why I think it flopped because no one's no one knows about it. And then no one's going in and turning it on. So I'd already worked with them on that feature. And then they had introduced to me Pinterest TV and were like, do you want to be a part of this? And I was like, oh, sure. I've, I've tried lives a few times on TikTok and Instagram and they didn't go anywhere. Like no one's interested in it. So I was like, sure, I'll, I'll try it one time, see how it goes. And they were like, we're going to promote it and you'll have a cover photo. And, you know, there should be a lot of people who attend. So I started doing that, and it was so much fun for me. I, at first, I told them no because I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not getting paid for this. Why would I do this? <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? I'll just, I'll give myself, I'll try it. I like to push myself out of my comfort zone. So I thought I'd just go ahead and do a live video. Well, now to this day, they opened it so that I can go in and create episodes. It's still a newer feature, so not a lot of people have access to this. I can go in and create episodes as much as I want so I do it about once a week every Wednesday and I do a new hair tutorial it's a lot of work because I have to do a cover photo and you have to tag hairstyles that are similar to it you have to go in and pick a time and schedule online and then add products if you want products added to it which I usually just don't waste my time with that (laughs) and then someone on the back end the Pinterest end approves the episode So I go in once a week and do about a half an hour show, and I just first open up. I'm like, hi, how's everyone's day going? A lot of my audience is high schoolers, which I slowly learned over time (laughs) because they'd tell me stuff about school or they'd ask me how old I was, like just fun random questions. And over time, I learned that it was a lot of high schoolers that didn't have TikTok because their parents wouldn't let them. And they really enjoyed the Pinterest episodes. And I go on, you know, my my content is pretty kid friendly. I mean, at least high school friendly, definitely. I'm not using vulgar songs or swearing on my content. So people just go on and I do a hairstyle and I try and teach them as best as I can. And by the end of the episode, we just end up chatting and it's fun. It's Uh, fun for me. how, How long is that? Uh, Half an hour. Half an hour. Yeah, I can do longer than that, but half an hour is usually about max time. That's kind of how long it takes me to do a hairstyle, answer a few questions, and then have it be over.
0: Let's take a quick break for this message from our sponsor. The global average cost of a data breach is nearly $4.5 million, but that's viewing it from a liability perspective. Today, privacy is a value proposition for software providers. When you develop a reputation for protecting customers' personal information, you don't just acquire new customers, you make them loyal. And Sudo Platform is the world's premier cloud platform for providing developers with a menu of enterprise-ready SDKs and APIs that make integrating privacy solutions into your software so easy. Built for developers by developers from identity wallets and password managers to virtual cards and secure encrypted communications, Pseudo Platform has you covered. Go to market quickly with a privacy platform that is scalable, flexible, and secure. To learn more, visit sudoplatform.com That's sudoplatform.com. What kind of advice would you give to people who are content creators today or they're going to be content creators? I mean, what, what are concerns that you think about now as somebody who's you know, got a pretty sizable following on TikTok. And, you know, it's easy to trip up and because you're so comfortable with it now. Mm-hmm. Right? It's easy to just overlook a small little, oops, I did something I probably shouldn't have done.
1: Yeah. So I would always, before I guess when I was originally creating content, I had this rule that I wouldn't post it the same day. You kind of need to create a video and then the next day you have, a fresh set of eyes, you know, maybe you slept and had some coffee and now your head is screwed on straight the next day. Then you look at the content and you decide, do you still like it? Is there anything that I missed in there that I maybe don't want to push out to the public? That's advice I would give people is the two day rule, like make it one day, don't post it until you've looked at it for at least two days One thing I posted on accident was an unboxing with my address on it. Luckily, I caught it immediately and took it down, but I've seen stories about people who can zoom in real tiny and capture that, even if it's just a glimpse of it. So definitely don't show any PR boxes. If you do that, be sure not to show the label or cross it out with a pen or marker something heavy-duty that's going to hide the address because that's something I did on accident and... I mean I posted videos without music that I meant to that I was like, oh well that was my mistake. I just didn't double check the videos. But I haven't had any other privacy issues videos that I've accidentally uploaded.
0: Yeah, I would imagine yeah, license plates is another one too. Being careful about blurring those out.
1: License plates, any details of your home, I never ever post the outside of my home. I mean, unless it's just like my backyard, you know, you can't tell where I live from that. Any identifiable features that you could tell if you lived in that town where that person lived, I wouldn't post it.
0: I wonder what the the advances of AI, how easy it will be here pretty soon for somebody to just screenshot one of your frames. And then if you're like outside somewhere and just, and automatically it searches the web and it's like, Oh, I I know exactly where you are. Yeah. I mean, that's probably coming.
1: That is. I was also going to talk about tagging your location online. We haven't talked about that yet. Some photos, if you send an image to a friend through text message, they can save that photo and inspect it and see where the photo was taken. But also Ooh, scary. posting on Instagram, they always have that location feature, that tag you can tag on your post. So I just went to Europe last year with my friend and I told her, I said, hey, like, I don't care if you post the photo with the location as long as we're gone. Like, I can you post it the next day or can you post it once we've left that spot? And she was like, oh, yeah, like, I totally understand. I, I would never do that either. So just being cautious of stuff like that. Like, don't don't post where you're at until you're gone or even the next day. If you're on vacation and you don't have roommates or family at home, a spouse, Don't post that you're gone from your house because that could incentivize break-ins if people do know where you live.
0: Yeah, I forgot all about the the whole metadata associated with pictures. Yeah, Mm -hmm. most people don't know that. Yeah. There's a lot of information that can be gleaned from from a photo.
1: Along with the date that you took it. Yikes.
0: (laughs) And I see so many, especially travel vloggers. There's a lot of travel vloggers out there and some of them don't. Like they, they might post the day after or two days after they were in a specific area, but they haven't really generally moved out of that area yet. Yeah. And so you could still conceivably, I guess, locate them and just,
1: yeah, track them down.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's definitely a concerning type of, you know, activity that I, I just I don't know if I could do that. I mean it it I can understand why people wanna be a travel blogger, but it just takes one person. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad I don't do that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Count me out. Any others, any other tips that you want to provide to content creators or things that you think about, or maybe things that you've changed in your habits over time as you grow and you're following?
1: The only other thing that we could go into is tips on emailing brands, getting scammed that way. But as far as just the content you post, Can't think of any other tips. Just be cautious about what you post and information that's in the background. Any text, you know, if you have any paperwork laying out that someone could take a picture of it and zoom in real close. I mean, you think like, oh, no one could do that. But there's actually programs, investigators, cops can do that. They can identify what the tiny little text said that might be a blur to you. But there's technology for that.
0: Yeah, what about brands that you're working with? Do you have to take any precautions there? Because I would imagine that couldn't that even be a Trojan horse if I just wanted to pretend that I was a brand and I just wanted to reach out to you, but somehow there's a scam or a trap built into that.
1: Definitely. I get that content all the time through email. So one thing, well, another thing with posting content is not posting other brands in the background of your photo. If you're representing that brand, make sure you remove everything else that's branded in your background that could get you in trouble and sometimes that's in a contract specifically not to mention any other brands or show brands but as far as email goes i've almost been scammed a few times the biggest one that happened recently was a brand emailed me and you know they just asked me hey what are your rates? Uh, What type of engagement do you get? Simple questions that a normal brand would ask me. And I responded back with my answers and they were like, great, we want to work with you. Here's the contract, get it signed and send it back over. So I looked at the contract and it is, it was one of those too good to be true. Like if if it's too good to be true, it's a scam. I'm just going to tell you that. So I looked over the contract and I had my boyfriend look over it. I was like, hey, see if you can find any loopholes in this contract. Like, am I giving away any of my rights in here? And something just didn't feel right about it. So I had worked with that brand previously. Luckily, I was so lucky in this. I worked with that brand previously and had another email contact. And I just said, hey, I got an email from this person claiming to be with your company, is this you guys? And something I didn't know was very common is a brand will only email you from their domain. The email was not from a domain of the brand. Like it wasn't blank.com. So that is one thing that I would encourage everyone to look at in your emails. If a brand is emailing you and they don't have the brand logo, like their signature that's one thing not everyone has to have that but a lot of the times they'll have a signature they'll have the brand logo in their signature and the email will come from that domain and you can also take an extra step and look them up on linkedin and see if that person actually works for the company
0: yeah make sure they're legit because i can imagine this could be a maybe a vector for phishing attacks if somebody was trying to take some of your personal information that way by representing themselves as a legit brand that wants to work with you.
1: Yeah, I have no clue what the catch was there. I couldn't find it, but I didn't sign it. And I'm still to this day trying to figure out what their motive was, why they tried to get me to sign this. Yikes.
0: Also, Michelle, what about how brands pay you and the, the are there things that you do to make sure that you're not revealing too much information using PayPal, and hopefully not giving away all your personal account information just to to be safe.
1: Payments, another scary situation where you've gone through all this work, you create the content, you post it, you've been emailing back and forth with this brand, and then you just hope that they are actually going to pay you. Signing a contract is one way to prevent that from, you know, if they don't end up paying you, at least you have that contract, which I would encourage everyone to make sure the brand sends you a contract. If they don't, I usually ask for one or a verbal contract, something through email. And a lot of the times brands will pay you through PayPal. So if it's an affiliate program or say a smaller brand that maybe doesn't have a bigger payment system set up, PayPal is most common. I have never had a brand ask me for my Venmo. Never. It's just never happened. That would
0: be a red flag to you.
1: Yeah. Business is kind of just associated with PayPal. And I had to create a separate PayPal for that circumstance. Now, bigger brands might have a different payment system set up where they say, hey, send the invoice to this email. It'll go to our, you know, this system, bill.com or whatever it is. So they have bigger systems where you have to go and create an account and send the invoice to that email, and then they pay you through that system, that's a really great way to protect both the company and the influencer because it's just all through a third party. Yeah. Um, other brands have asked me to sign NDAs, which was kind of scary in the beginning because I was like, why do I need to sign an NDA? <laughs> it's
0: time to get an attorney.
1: Yeah, so obviously I can't talk about anything that happened there, but I definitely read through those thoroughly and make sure I'm not signing over something that I shouldn't be. But yeah, a lot of times it's just for new product launches.
0: Smart, smart, smart. Let's talk a little bit. I know it's not completely privacy related, but every time we do talk about social media, there is always this mental health angle. And I think it is important to kind of to touch on just a little bit because you know, there's there's a lot of talk about this. I know there's a there's a graph that we've talked about in a couple a few episodes ago where right around the time Instagram launched, you can literally see this hockey stick effect in the graph where the incidence of mental illness just started exploding. Yeah. And it's like there's I mean, it's not a causal relationship, but it's a pretty strong correlation. And you're like, there's something going on here. So there's this article from um this is women's health from December fifteenth of 2022 and it's entitled the influencers are not all right and then the subheading says and honestly if you're watching their content 24 7 neither are you Mm -hmm. and the theme is pretty clear here it's overall it's just the time commitment you know you talked about this you feel like you can't stop yeah you walk away from it and all of a sudden my engagement goes down I was watching a travel vlogger about a year or so ago started watching her and then I guess, was it two months ago? She's like, oh, she's got that, you know, that video that says, I'm taking a break.
1: Yeah. Everyone does that at least once in their career. They just, oh, see, uh," the funniest part is when you don't notice. They're like, I've been off social media for two whole weeks. You're like, you didn't even announce that. I didn't notice that. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll just read
0: one of the cases here that uses an example As they say, Victoria Paris is 23. She's an influencer in TikTok, it girl, whatever that is, with a total follower count approaching 2 million. She was known for her, her fit pics with classic New York City backdrops, like colorfully graffitied storefront shutters, uh, food trucks, fire escapes flanked by skyscrapers, bodega aisles lined with rainbow potato bag chips and her eclectic Manhattan loft where even her radiator was adorned with Instagram-friendly plant life. Oh, this is some poetry here. <laughs> New York was Paris's aesthetic. Her aesthetic made her money. She left anyway. For Paris, the benefits she gained from documenting her lifestyle online, from her signature hashtag hot girls sweat workout routine to cosmetic procedures like lip tattooing and liposuction on her chin, her lifestyle came with serious consequences too. During her rise to New York fame, she faced repeated personal space violations and stalking, leading to intense anxiety and paranoia. The dreamy life she shared and sold wasn't as idyllic as it seemed. She was quoted here. I would hear somebody scream my name multiple times at the top of their lungs, and then they'd run across traffic and physically grab me. It's <laughs> crazy. She says, I, now I hear somebody say my name and I flinch. One of Paris's worst encounters was when a group of girls stood outside her apartment building, blocking the entrance and screaming her name as she tried to pass by. She realized for the sake of her mental health and creative spirit that she couldn't stay in the city and moved to a less populated area of Los Angeles County. So <laughs> I just, I, yeah, no thanks. That, that's the kind of lifestyle I'd like to pass on.
1: That does not sound like something I would be interested in either.
0: She's quoted here saying, I just want privacy for the first time in years. I have really bad paranoia, which I've struggled with my whole life. And that has exploded under influencing. My brain just doesn't operate anymore. It operates with the fear of the future. And she hopes proximity to nature and a more relaxed California lifestyle will help her heal. Yeah, I, (laughs) it's.
1: Do you think there's any angles you could take on securing your privacy if you're face is recognizable if people just see you and scream your name and grab you in public. I don't know if there's any privacy angles you could take on that besides just having a bodyguard, I guess. <laughs>
0: yeah, there's not there's not much you can do. At some point people are going to find out where you live. I'm I'm pretty sure of that. I mean, even Hollywood celebrities eventually people figure it out, you know. Yeah. People share, people talk and you know, it starts I guess with uh, somebody who lives in the neighborhood and then that gets out and So it's pretty hard, I think, to remain completely anonymous when you're that public. But facial recognition software, too, that's the other thing. People getting access to that data, which can be tied to location tracking as well. So I understand the attraction. Everybody wants to be famous and they want to make the money that comes along with that. But not being able to go to the grocery store anymore.
1: That would be sad.
0: You hear that a lot with a small group of people who have been president of the United States. It's over for them. Right? <laughs> they, they never will be able to go anywhere again. They've always got security around them. Every time they make a move, even when they're long out, out of office, everything has to be planned days in advance.
1: Imagine seeing the president walking through a grocery store in sweatpants, just <laughs> casually picking up some produce.
0: he just disconnect from life. It's like you can't even, it's hard to be relatable anymore.
1: Yeah, he probably has people for that.
0: <laughs> so they mentioned in this article, this women's health article, that the fact that unhealthy behaviors can boost metrics is a common issue when it comes to influencing. For Grace Atwood, 41, who has been working in the influencing space for 13 years, it's being unable to step away from work. She says, quote, we can't take breaks or our numbers drop explaining that when she stops posting for the weekend, she'll notice a 30 to 40% decline in Instagram story views just for the weekend. Wow. <laughs> and And it mentions any drop in engagement is a big problem when you make the bulk of your income from your social media account. For influencers, taking the weekend off from work often means returning to do the same job on Monday for lower pay.
1: I know Instagram shows... Images at the top of your feed, the ones that you engage with and like the most. So if you take a break from that, if your favorite influencer stops posting for a while, you might have other pictures that are replaced at the top. They might not show up at the top anymore and it could just disappear. Gosh,
0: unbelievable. So they, they talk about depression. Uh, the quote here is, as people in your comments will talk about you like they're not in your house, they'll be like, who is this? Mm, insert bad word. She sucks and thinks she's so funny. When I see that on my phone, I start spiraling because I'm like, that's really who I am, that's really me. Uh, says Estefania Pessoa. She's 31, she's an influencer, better known by her username Teffy on various social media platforms. Teffy's amassed over 1 million followers on her many accounts thanks to her pop culture hot takes, but even as someone in the business of sharing her opinion online, Teffy reached the point where she just about had enough. The social media feedback loop was making her depression much worse. She needed a break and she's taken one indefinitely, handing her channels off to her team so she can continue posting while also not being active on the internet herself. Quote, she says, I feel guilty about it. Even after the near constant influx of hate comments, which led to her programming pause in the first place. She says, I've heard about people getting to this point before and I've been like, well, oh, that's so dramatic. And then that was me. No money in the world is worth me looking in the mirror and thinking you're so terrible.
1: I have a few opinions on that because I think there's two types of people. There's someone who seeks out to be an influencer and there's someone who falls into it and didn't want to be an influencer. So for the people who didn't want to be an influencer and kind of just blew up overnight. That's sad that they're getting all these hate comments and just an influx of comments that they don't know how to handle. And that can be really damaging to your mental health. Someone who purposely is trying to grow on social media and has that mindset of making it a business. Once you get your first hate comment, you're like, I made it. (laughs) That that means if I have haters, I made it (laughs) on social media because someone's commenting something they don't like about your post. Also, if you're just in the wrong mood, if you're in the wrong headspace that day and you see a comment, I get comments all the time about my hairstyles being ugly or especially on live videos, people will post hate comments. Oh, and sometimes terrible. I have to block them if they're really harsh. Yeah. And sometimes if you're in the wrong headspace, those comments can get to you. But I think for majority of the time, if you, want to be an influencer you kind of just have that in the back of your mind that it happens and you just can't let it get to you
0: yeah that's the other problem too is like especially if you don't know somebody i sometimes i might post a hot take on linkedin and then somebody will say something and i'm just like get so angry and i'm thinking i don't even know this person who cares yeah,
1: yeah you just have to let it go
0: so they also say here that despite these pitfalls Being an influencer is still a highly sought after job. Around 86% of Gen Z and millennials say they would post sponsored content for money and 54% would become an influencer if given the opportunity. So they don't care. They want the money.
1: Yeah, everyone (laughs) wants the money.
0: For many, creating content feels like an appealing way to achieve financial freedom in an increasingly online world. Plus, it's a way to make money from something they're already doing, which is spending time on social media. Not to mention, in the beginning, it's often fun and can be profitable. The influencer endorsement market more than doubled from 2019 to 2021, growing from $6.5 billion to $13.8 That's
1: crazy. That's a big number.
0: Yeah. And constantly churning out fresh digital material for mass consumption, often by sharing intimate details of one's life, definitely wears on people. So. They they talk about the addiction part. So experts agree that influencing can be psychologically addictive from a neurological standpoint. You're constantly getting these intermittent hits of dopamine, says Jamie Zuckerman, PhD, a clinical psychologist based in Pennsylvania. She says it's like a drug. When influencers aren't using social media, they're probably experiencing dopamine withdrawal after being online for hours at a time. This puts them at even higher risk for anxiety and depression than those who don't make a living on the internet who can also fall victim to the dopamine rush of social media. Add money and fame into the mix and the combination becomes particularly harmful. So the, we've talked about this several times on the podcast. Limit your social media engagement in general. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, can, it can't really get to you. And I, yeah, I find the same thing. Like I said, I, I'm on LinkedIn more probably than anything else. And it's just little things that sometimes just upset me. And i just like, why did that even bother me? Like, stop, just close it up, walk away, go do something else, get some fresh air, go for a run.
1: Change your screen limit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's just uh, close this out. Talk about tips. We got, this has been a pretty long episode. So we had a lot of content.
1: Yeah, that's surprising. We we were worried we wouldn't have enough <laughs> content.
0: You can never talk enough about content creators. Imagine that. Content <laughs> creators and too much content.
1: Content creators part two coming soon.
0: Yes. <laughs> So let's just talk about a little bit about tips. So there's this um, article on comes from Inc. File, dated April 5th of 2022, and the title is "Data Privacy for Influencers and Digital Security." So Michelle, feel free to just jump in on this whenever, and we'll close out this episode. So it talks about you know just good advice about how to manage your your content creation. And keeping your influencer business separate from your personal accounts as much as possible, I think you've got your own kind of separate business entity that you've created to manage things. And I, I don't know how you, you know, manage the if you've got separate phone numbers and emails to to take care of all that, but it's definitely something people need to think about.
1: Yeah, I definitely have a separate email. Um, creating a my pseudo email would be very beneficial, especially when you're starting out. Just get that going now.
0: Yeah, so you know, have a dedicated business email that isn't tied to any of your, you know, personal social media accounts really. Create that dedicated PayPal business account that we just mentioned that's not linked to your personal banking. Don't post any specific location information in real time, especially on social media. Approach people search sites. You see this a lot too. This they call it OSINT, open source intelligence where you can just go on Google and I, if I get a phone number, sometimes I can use that phone number to find out who, who you are or where you live or where you've lived in the past. And if you work hard enough, you, you can find a lot of information on people. I actually found an old, long-lost friend uh, that way by just spending days and days just kind of piecing things together until I finally figured it out. I was like, that's his phone number. Now, I'm not a stalker, <laughs> and it was great. He was he was happy to hear from me, but that's how I found the person, right? It was just free, available information on the Internet through these people searches. but. Yeah, if if, if you find your information on sites and and on data broker or through data brokers that you don't want uh, to have, if you don't want them to have that information, you know, you do have the legal right to reach out to them and say, please remove that information. Use a virtual mailbox. Hadn't really heard much about this before. Keep your private information like your personal phone number and residential address a secret. Some sites and newsletter services require a business address, which can be challenging when running an online business or working remotely as a digital nomad. A virtual mailbox and mail scanning service can help you stay secure while also streamlining your online business. It provides you with a real street address you can share with banks or customers and all mail sent to it is scanned and uploaded to a secure private portal for you for you to review online. That's, that's a pretty convenient service.
1: That's cool. I wonder if that would work for shipping too. Like if it would somehow have your real address connected to it.
0: Yeah, that's a good point.
1: Or if that's just for... Creating a fake address.
0: (laughs) (laughs) One other thing, too, we've talked about many times is to use two-factor authentication, sometimes called MFA, multi-factor authentication on all your accounts. According to Google, more than 15% of internal users have reported experiencing either an email or social media account being hacked. And multi-factor authentication or 2FA can block up to 99.9% of account compromise attacks. Also be aware of plagiarism and duplicate accounts. I'm sure, you know, as, mm-hmm. as you grow and you're following, there's going to be people out there that want to replicate what you're doing and steal some of that intellectual property. So plagiarism, intellectual property, and copyright are all are other areas that often go undetected. Phishing, non-payment, and extortion are the most common types of cybercrime, but personal data breaches, identity theft, and spoofing are most likely to impact influencers. Uh, Many content creators usually hop on the internet for ideas about certain topics. Some may not help, but copy others' content, explains William Cannon, founder of Signaturely. This means that you need to be aware of any copycat accounts or anyone using your content without your consent. We've also talked about using a VPN or virtual private network whenever you're on a public Wi-Fi. Very, very cautious about that because that is the most insecure uh, way to access the internet. Set up Google Alerts. It minimizes plagiarism by tracking the key phrases and titles of any content. It will send notifications to you once someone is copying the content online. This way you can keep a tab on anyone attempting to copy your work. On social media, it's also worth keeping an eye out for any copycat accounts that are trying to impersonate you. A hype auditor study found that only around 59% of Instagram accounts in the U.S. are real people. (laughs) With the remaining wow. consisting of bots, fake accounts, or duplicate accounts. I mean, I know Twitter had a huge bot account, uh, problem and probably still does, but Instagram.
1: Yeah, Pinterest, ugh, people create boards with my name or boards that just say hairstyles. And they'll invite me to that board. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, that's a little creepy, but I don't know what the plagiarism is. Lines are Pinterest because you can repin content and that's legal. But if they're taking my content and reposting it as their own, that's illegal.
0: Oh, the online world is so weird. Yeah. And finally it says run occasional searches for duplicate accounts that imitate your own and report any you find while it may seem like painstaking work, protecting your content is just as important when it comes to protecting your privacy. So there you go. This was a this was a long episode.
1: Yeah, long. Hopefully, informational.
0: Anything else you want to add before we uh, before we close this out?
1: Uh, I was. I thought of one last thing. Sure. If you ever get an email from a company claiming to be the social media app asking to log in to your account, like ninety nine percent of the time, that's going to be a scam. It's not actually from the social media app. I get those emails all the time just ignore them, throw them in the trash, move them to junk and log into your app on your actual phone, not through your email.
0: Have you ever had one of your accounts hacked?
1: No, I have two factor though. And I have a, I have an actual app on my phone that is a two factor app.
0: Very smart. Well, cool. Well, this was great. This is I have a feeling we probably could do part two. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, think about it. <laughs> I think
0: that could be coming. Well, awesome. Well, Michelle, thanks so much for for being here. And if you want to plug your content, go ahead.
1: Sure. Um, so my TikTok is Michelle Kramer One, and my Instagram is Michelle Kramer Eight.
0: There you go. So
1: just a little different.
0: <laughs> Anybody's interested in some in some hair tutorials? You've got them. And you're still doing the the Pinterest TV.
1: Yeah. Yep. Every Wednesday, the time kind of changes a little bit depending on what times are available, but I try and do them every Wednesday night.
0: Okay. Very cool. Well, thanks so much for, for doing this with us today, Michelle, and uh, I have a feeling we're going to see you again pretty soon.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Well, that's going to do it for this episode. In our next episode, Sarah returns as we broach the topic of college life and privacy. We'll be talking to a senior at a major American university as we attempt to understand how the challenges of protecting one's personal data and higher education have dramatically changed. Until next time, don't forget, privacy is a human right.